The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about gender controversies and confusion. And confusion, well, controversy and confusion are the words of the day and the hour and the year, and, and um, it's just getting more and more so, more confusing and more controversial. My guest today is Elizabeth Meyer. Um, she is a professor at California Polytech State University in San Luis Obispo in the School of Education, and she is the author of um, a book called Gender, Bullying, and Harassment, Strategies to End Sexism and Homophobia in Schools, and she is also the co-editor of a book that just got released called Supporting Transgender and Gender Creative Youth, Schools, Families, and Communities in Action. And Liz is also a former high school teacher, an ice hockey and softball coach, and a Fulbright Teacher Exchange Program grantee. So she is uh, the person <laughs> who will hopefully dispel some of uh, our confusion um, although I have a feeling that, <laughs> that that we might have some controversy between us <laughs> on these issues, but we'll see how that unfolds. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, first of all, one this weekend, I was really um, interested to hear uh, over the radio as I was driving around. Um, there was uh, something on KNX about. Um, well, first of all, it, it timed. Um, to go along with the Gay Pride Parade this weekend in West Hollywood, there was the announcement of a teen suing LAUSD, uh, the LA Unified School District, for allowing bullying to escalate. Um, this young man, who uh, named James Anthony Scott, who goes by the name Sheer, has just filed a lawsuit. Um, he describes himself as a gender non-conforming gay person, and uh, Liz, perhaps you can explain to us specifically what that is. And he claims that he was harassed, bullied, and tormented for his sexuality and for sticking up for a classmate with autism. And I'm going to quote, Waking up every day knowing what I would be confronted with, wondering what next level that these students would take in humiliating me, physically assaulting me, I was tormented and I was petrified every single day walking to and from school. Um, he said that after he stuck up for a student at Daniel Pearl Magnet High School, other students tripped him, called him names, threatened him, and stuffed messages with epithets in his locker. Uh, it even um, escalated to students nearly hitting him with a car and spitting at him. And so he said that he 
began experiencing severe anxiety and panic attacks, and eventually he left the school. And I think he transferred. Um, maybe, Liz, you know more about this, the follow-up. But um, the district is investigated at the time, and they, they say that they took action to enhance a school climate that is positive and affirming for all students. Um, there was something on the radio report about the teachers wearing uh, words that were sent on a note to him in his locker or something like that, that they were trying to show solidarity with him. What do you know about all this, about all this, about this particular story? Well, there's a lot. I mean, you've definitely opened an enormous can of worms because this case of Sheer, and I will address the student by the name Sheer because yeah. that is the name they prefer. Okay. And I'm actually going to use the gender-neutral pronoun they, which a lot of gender nonconforming youth are now choosing. Um, I don't know what Sheer prefers, but just by looking at the images that, like the 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 dress that Sheer was wearing at the media conference that they had, indicates to me that Sheer is definitely embracing their gender nonconformity in, and, and as part of their identity. So what I know about this case is it's very similar to a case that happened a couple years ago that had a very different tragic ending. Um, it was a case of a student named Seth Walsh who was 13 years old and had also experienced lots of bullying and harassment at school because he was gay, he was seen as gender nonconforming, you know, he wore nail polish. He, he was very expressive with his gestures and into creative arts and expressions. And um, he and his family reported the bullying. It happened repeatedly. The school district that did very little. And it led to um, events leading up to his suicide. And so we have a new law called Seth's Law that came into effect two years ago that are strengthening our bullying laws and that actually require that teachers in the state of California intervene in any act of bullying that they witness when it is safe to do so. So it sounds like Sheer was experiencing a lot lot of bullying and harassment and probably stuff that was within the sites, sight lines and sound lines of teachers. And they probably didn't do anything. And that means they're not upholding the law that we have in California to make sure that other kids didn't experience the horrific tragedy that Seth Walsh and his family did. Um, so all I know is what's been just come out in the past 24 hours of the media coverage, but it looks like Sheer does have good legal representation. And it sounds like they will have a strong case against the school because of the lack of intervention, it sounds like, what was happening. Well, you know, um, I, I mean, in other words, being against the law, being against the Seth Walsh law, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, obviously bullying is bad. I, I in fact, were, was, um, I was the defense psych, or, well, what would I call, I was the psychiatrist retained in a case uh, in Florida this past fall, the case of the two girls who were uh, accused, they were arrested for bullying their friend. Um, Caitlin Roman was the one that I was um, representing. And um, she was 12 years old, and she and her friend, who was 14, were arrested for allegedly bullying um, their friend, uh, or at least it was Caitlin's friend, um, uh, Rebecca Sedgwick. And Rebecca killed herself. And, um, and, you know, so I am very sense, and, and in fact, it really wasn't that due to, it wasn't due to, uh, Caitlin's having bullied her that they, they weren't even in contact, 
essentially, or didn't see each other for 10 months before that because Rebecca had left the school. But So I, I am very sensitive to this whole issue of bullying. I mean, I've become more and more involved with it. But, um, but you know, it, it's a really difficult situation because, because teachers, and you having been a former high school teacher, uh, know that teachers are being asked more and more to take the role of parents, to, to take up the slack, to um, do things that parents used to do, even the, the idea of schools providing breakfast. I mean, um, and, and education about certain things that used to be parents who provided that kind of education. Um, and and I, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it is absolutely true that most schools drop the ball, they turn the other way, they don't do anything or don't do enough when it comes to bullying. I totally agree with you with that. But I think... Um, you know, is it really fair to, I mean, we don't know all the details with this particular case, of Shear's case, but um, sometimes it seems like people take advantage of, um, uh, of th- th- there's, another, there's another side to the story, let's put it that way. Well, I, I'm I'm not exactly sure what you're getting at because I, I yes, I mean there's always many sides to a story, but what the research has told us time and time again that in terms of school experiences, students who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender, and students with a dis- disability are extremely vulnerable and persistently targeted and very marginalized in school environments. And so schools have historically have a pattern of not doing enough to talk about differences, to create a climate that is accepting of diversity and addressing issues of homophobia, transphobia, ableism, other things related to that that allow these kinds of epithets and harassment to persist. Because it's not just, you know, we're not talking about one incident of somebody calling somebody a bad name. We're talking about bullying and harassment are defined as behaviors that actually have such a negative impact on a student that it deprives them of their access to education, meaning they choose not to attend classes, they avoid certain um, activities and spaces in the school environment, so they are not getting full access to the educational opportunities that every child in our society should have access to. So, I don't think, you know, some people think it's overreacting or, or we need to blame the victim. They've brought it on themselves somehow. But I think as schools, as public institutions that have this duty to provide a basic access to education to every child in its community, that when children or students or youth, however we want to call them, are experiencing these kinds of um, negative behaviors that prevent them from learning, prevent them from feeling safe at school, prevent them from being able to develop their full capacities, right? Kids quit sports teams. They disengage from student government or band or whatever if they're feeling unsafe or not welcome there. So they're losing the benefits of the full education. Yeah, and although... I mean, although I hear what you're saying that parents used to do X, Y, Z, I think we have a very romanticized notion of what America was like in the 50s or what America was like in the 1900s. I mean, I I don't think there was ever a time when every parent provided every child a hot breakfast and a perfect, you know, knowledge of sexuality education and all these other things that we are asking schools to do because we expect children to have some basic foundational knowledge about these essential issues. Well, you know, I mean, I don't think we have to go back that far um, to find a time when parents were providing more 
whether it's in terms of breakfast or in terms of of um, moral development and education um, and you know tolerance and that kind of thing as well. And uh, so, but I, it's, of course, I'm not saying that schools don't have a responsibility to. Uh, intervene when there's bullying, but I'm just saying that it is also the responsibility of parents to understand what goes on. And this isn't just um, a gay, lesbian, transgender um, issue. You know, people get bullied for all kinds of things, whether they, you know, whether they're fat or whether they're um, short or whether, you know, all kinds of um, different things that, that people can pick on um, to to uh, distinguish them, you know, to to find something uh, to say about them. And yes, it, well, we I'm hearing the music, and we need to take a break. But we will be back. My guest is Elizabeth Meyer. Um, her latest book is called "Supporting Transgender and Gender Creative Youth: Schools, Families, and Communities in Action." You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about gender controversies and confusion. My guest is Elizabeth Meyer. She is a, uh, well, she's primarily, she's a professor at California Polytech, but she is also um, the author of books on this subject, uh, Gender, Bullying, and Harassment, Strategies to End Sexism and Homophobia in Schools, and the book that just got released um, this past month. So you wanted to comment on what the last thing that I was talking about, so go ahead. Yeah, so yes, lots of people can get bullied or targeted for lots of differences, right? People say, oh, because you're wearing glasses or because you're fat or because you look, you know, you don't wear the right clothes or what have you. And um, yes, it's true. Kids pick on each other for a lot of different reasons. But what the research tells us is that, first of all, the most common and pervasive negative terms directed towards boys are anti-gay in nature, and the ones directed towards girls usually are somehow around a sexual epithet, slut, whore, that kind of thing. 
thing. So they're very sexually loaded terms are the ones that are often used to hurt the most. We also have known that teachers tend not to intervene in anti-gay and sexual forms of harassment. So those are the kinds that the kids do the most often, but teachers are least likely to intervene in. And they also have the most long-term negative impact because bias-based harassment gets at who you are, your identity, and, and your expression, and the way you engage in the world. It's not just about what you're wearing, yeah. right? And so it has a much deeper impact on the person who is targeted, especially if it's something that they can't go home and talk to their family about and get some support, like racial epithets. Those kids can go home and often get all kinds of coping mm. strategies and advice from their adult role models in the home. But a kid who might be questioning their sexual orientation or might be gender nonconforming or trans transgender, or just being called those names, they might not have a safe parent or adult family member to go home and talk to about it and get some coping mechanisms and get some response strategies because they don't have those kinds of supports at home. So it's, it is a little different than the other kinds of bullying that you were mentioning. Yes, yes. Um, and of course, so much of this in terms of sexuality has to come, comes from fear, fear of the other students about what these, about, you know, their they're um, exploring their own sexuality, and to see someone, for example, dressed flamboyantly, uh, a guy dressed um, dressed in a dress, as you were mentioning, or dressed flamboyantly, or you know, uh, um, even girls dressed um, uh, very flirtatiously or sexually. Uh, these are all things. I mean, part of why this gets um, some of the most the most attention or the most is the most common is because it's the most threatening to the other students. Yes, and I think the fear and the threat comes from a lack of information and a lack of knowledge. And I think that's why this new law we have in California, the Fair Education Act, which actually requires K through 12 schools to talk about LGBT people and people with disabilities and their contributions to California and U.S. history and modern-day society. And so by encouraging teachers and actually requiring our schools to teach about who these different people are, what their contributions, identities, experiences, contributions to knowledge have been, it can demystify some of that fear because a lot of the fear comes from the silencing, the invisibility, the negative stereotypes that are allowed to persist because we haven't been allowed to talk about it and, and until very recently, right? And so most adults, many parents, many school teachers, many other um, role models that youth might have exposure to just don't yet have the language or the familiarity to, to talk about it in age-appropriate ways with their students or their children. But the kids, the youth, are embracing this broader spectrum of gender diversity, sexual diversity, because it feels more authentic to them. And um, I don't think it needs to be a threat to anybody unless, you know, a physical threat is being uttered. It's just different. I don't know why people are experiencing it as something that's so scary or, or threatening, because it's just somebody being their full selves. And I think well, the Larry King case that happened in Oxnard a few years ago is is a good example. Like, you know, Brandon McInerney was so terribly threatened that this young person could be attracted to him that he brought yeah. a school, a gun to school and shot him. There was no threat there. He just asked him to be his valentine. 
Well, but that was enough to make him feel threatened. I mean, it, it, but what it, is threatening about somebody? I mean, it's like if you're a woman in a bar and a guy comes up to you and asks you to dance or offers you a drink and you're not interested, you say you're not interested, and hopefully they respect that. We know that they don't always, but it's the same thing. Unwanted sexual attention is always unwanted, but it's not a threat unless well, it's wait, a physical wait, wait. threat. I mean, surely you know that it is much more threatening for a, a young, for a teen boy to be sexually approached or, you know, I mean, to be asked to be the valentine or told that, that he is his valentine or whatever, uh, than it is for a woman in a bar to be approached by a man. I, I mean, you know, um, because, because um, the, it, it may make the, what was the name, tell me the name again of the, I forget who the person was who shot him. Brandon McInerney. Right, that's right. Okay, so Brandon, obviously, you know, to him, that spelled, um, you know, does this guy, does um, Larry think that I'm gay? Why is he telling me he wants to be my, my Valentine? Um, you know, am I gay? What, what is he sensing in me that he's thinking that it's okay to send me this Valentine? I mean, that's what but comes But that's up. only a threat. That's what? only a threat if we equate gayness with badness. Right? That's only a negative thing if in our minds we've accepted the premise that being gay, gay is a bad thing. And that's what we need to get against. That's what we need to help people understand that being gay is just another part of the human spectrum, just like being straight is or by being bisexual is. But and it's not a negative or a bad thing. But when people are teenagers, and they're, 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 that's the time when psychologically they're forming their identity. So this is a very vulnerable time. And... Um, and to some boy teens, um, being gay is bad. I mean, being their being gay at least is bad. Maybe that you know they don't necessarily wouldn't necessarily think that someone else who is gay is bad. But the idea that they might be gay is threatening to them. They don't want to be gay. I mean, it is okay for some teen boys to decide or know that they don't want to be gay. Absolutely, but there's a difference between deciding you don't want to be gay and picking up a gun and shooting somebody else because yeah. they are. <laughs> yes, yes, but I mean, that's just, and you know, of course it comes from how he was raised and, you know, the fear, um, why he had so much fear of that, like someone thinking that he was gay and so on. But, um, but, but you know, it is the idea of being, is it contagious that, Teen, especially teens, um, would have this feeling, you know, is it contagious? If someone gay likes me, does that mean that I'm gay? Uh, are they going to come on to me? Are they going to sexually assault me? Those are normal. Well, that's the exact kind of misinformation we need to address in schools, and a sexual assault of any kind is inappropriate and scary and threatening, and that's what young women live with all uh, of it, the time, and that's yes. exactly the parallel I'm trying to make, is that yes. a young man feels particularly threatened when a young man approaches him because he's never been subject to um, another person being the sexual initiator or the sexual aggressor. And so I think that shows a couple things that are problematic that we need to address, not just the homophobia, but misogyny and the fact that women are sort of expected to live all day, every day with this potential threat of sexual assault. But if for heaven forbid one guy is given the hint that somebody could potentially be interested in them, that's enough to send them into a violent you know, deadly rampage. And well, that, I think, is a significant problem in our culture. Well, it is certainly true that, that there is, I mean, that's been in the news about um, how women are, you know, on college campuses or, or it could be anywhere are having to live 
um, even high school campuses all over have to live with this threat every day of, of sexual assault. Yes, but like if if um, Brandon would be, you know, if he got a Valentine, let's say, from a girl in his class, even if he didn't like the girl, didn't want to be her boyfriend, her Valentine, he wouldn't have gotten threatened and shot her. Right, but the only reason he felt threatened was because of the homophobia in our culture that had been normalized in his school and in his upbringing. And that's exactly what we need to be working against because of the homophobia in our culture and the misogyny gets so accepted and internalized, the kind of bullying that Sheer is now filing a lawsuit against LA Unified about is why teachers don't deal with it because they've come to accept it as normal. Come to accept what is normal? That, that these kinds of they've come to accept homophobic name calling, uh-huh. sexual harassment. They've accepted it as normal that this is just the way our society is, and it's not really bullying. It's just kids being kids. Uh-huh. It's just sheer being um, kind of policed by his um, schoolmates because they don't agree with the way he dresses or expresses himself or what have you. It's when we accept that as normal behavior and we don't teach against it, we don't challenge it, that we then lose meaningful opportunities to help youth, like you say, develop in really healthy ways a strong sense of identity of who they are and who they want to be in the world. And do we want them to internalize these and continue to believe these negative thoughts about gays and lesbians and women? Women and other marginalized groups when they grow into more powerful adults? Or do we want to take this opportunity when they're learning these things to say, hey, look, this isn't the right way to teach a human being. We all have layers of difference. How can we learn to live and appreciate this multiplicity of identities and experiences so we can coexist in a society that doesn't end up with guys going on shooting rampages because they've been you know, sexually rejected by women they've been attracted to or because they were approached by a, a gay man who thought they were attractive? Well, like yeah. in what world is that acceptable or, or tolerated behavior? Well, yes, I mean that that is another part of it. Um, that that situation where um, a boy recently, where a boy took a gun and shot a girl who wouldn't go to the prom with him. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, violence has gotten out of whether it's verbal violence, emotional violence, or actual physical violence. You know, killing people. Um, it is so out of hand. I was just reading about how since Sandy Hook, I mean, this is hard to believe. I, I don't think, I don't know that I've kept track of that many of them, but there were, um, according to this report that I just read, there have been 74 incidents of school shootings since Sandy Hook. Yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, our culture, I mean, it's part of the gun culture, but a lot of it has to do with our culture of masculinity, and I think this is what's getting the, the common thread with all of these issues we're talking about. It's about young men feeling like their masculinity is being questioned or challenged, yeah. and in our culture, we give young men such a narrow range of acceptable behaviors to be a boy. You can't express emotion. The only emotion men are socially, in, you know, encouraged to express is is either excitement when they've accomplished something athletic, right, so they can cheer if at a sports game, or rage if they're upset about something, mm-hmm. right? They're not allowed to cry. They're not ex- allowed to really express their emotions in many ways unless they're ready to be made fun of by their buddies or whomever. Um, and so most of these shootings are young men who are dealing with lots of emotional trauma for various reasons, yes. but they don't have any healthy outlet for it. And the only yeah. outlet they have is rage and violence and one wanting to feel powerful for one moment. And that's the problem with masculinity in our culture, and I think that's really the underlying um, thread in all of these cases we've been discussing. 
Yes, um, it, it is, and, and particularly because of the world around us, um, with terrorism and so on, there are a lot of reasons why, and, and just in the home, abuse and so on, there are a lot of reasons why young males are feeling that their masculinity is threatened. We need to take another break. My guest is Elizabeth Meyer. Um, she is the author of uh, a book that has just been released called Supporting Transgender and Gender Creative Youth, Schools, Families, and Communities in Action. And um, towards the end of this uh, show today, we'll talk about some of the things that schools and parents should be doing. But um, we're going to continue to explore what's happening when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back. Um, We're talking today about gender controversies and confusion. My guest is Elizabeth Meyer. She is uh, the author of, well, there are two books that I keep trying to mention because I want you to go out and look, look for them. We'll tell you where to find them. At the end of the show, um, first there was Gender Bullying and Harassment, Strategies to End Sexism and Homophobia in Schools. And God knows we all need to know more about that. So, um, I, you know, uh, during the break I was telling Liz that um, I usually ask people who come on my show who have written a book what got them interested in this particular subject. So... <laughs> Yes, well, I, you know, I was a high school teacher, and I really was brought into the subject because of my students that I was working with. Many of them were coming to me and dealing with homophobic bullying and sexual harassment, and they were like, you know, do something about it, make it better, do what, you know, what can you do? Because they would come to my classroom and feel safe, but then they would go walking down the hallways, and I couldn't keep them protected. And so I was like, we've got to do something as a school. So I went to my head of school and said, can we offer a staff training on this? You know, I have my master's degree in this. I I've done some training and, you know, they set aside an hour for me to give a workshop. But then the night before the workshop, I got called by our dean of students saying, you know, the workshop's been canceled. Oh. The head of school is worried about um, par- parents finding out that we're talking about these issues. Oh, wow. So that was really a, a, a flashpoint for me to being like, what is so scary about helping people understand how to intervene effectively and how to understand how to support students better? And then one of the reasons the head of school told me he pulled the plug was he's like, you know, you're not technically an expert on this issue. 
And so, you know, after a couple more years teaching, I just, I just got very frustrated with my limited um, scope of ability to protect these students and to have an impact on my school community when my administration wasn't supportive. So I went back and I got my PhD and, and I went and talked to other teachers about this issue because the research was showing exactly what I said earlier, that these cases of anti-gay or gender and sexual-based harassment um, are the most frequently heard by students in middle and high schools, but they're also the ones that teachers are least likely to interrupt, to take a stand and say, knock it off, that's not okay. And I wanted to understand this gap. And what I found out from the teachers in my study, and I'm actually doing part of a large-scale study now, kind of finding out more about if this is a generalizable experience, was... Many teachers felt, A, that they would not be supported by their administration if they took a strong stand against anti-gay bullying and sexual harassment, because if they sent the kid to the vice principal's office, oftentimes they would just kind of get a clap on the shoulder and be like, ah, knock it off, don't do it again, because oftentimes the administrators came from that sort of macho guy culture, and they could, they they remembered being that kid, and so they didn't really take a strong stand against it. So that was one thing. They weren't supported wait, wait, wait. by their they administration. Wait, wait, they remember being which kid, the bull- or I mean, they weren't all. I they mean, remember with, being, They were often often football coaches or basketball coaches. They're often the ones who rise up into administration in high schools, and so they're the ones who have deeply internalized that macho guy culture that anti-gay name calling and sexually mm-hmm. harassing females is, is tolerated mm-hmm. and expected. And so then they don't have as clear of a stance against helping people think about those kinds of behaviors differently. Secondly, they were really worried about parental backlash, that if they took a moment to say, look, it's not okay to bully people based on this, LGBT people are part of our culture and they should be respected, Um, they're afraid that when the child went home and said something to their parents about what they learned in school that day, that they would then get an angry phone call, they might get called down to the principal's office for saying something that wasn't part of their science curriculum, but they were still just trying to keep their kids safe. So a lot of times they just didn't uh, say anything, which then sent the message that it was okay, because your silence sort of condones whatever behavior you're allowing to continue. So it was a lack of supportive administration, fear of backlash from parents, and often they just didn't know what to say. They hadn't been given professional development or specific um, tools and resources on how to effectively talk about these things in age-appropriate ways that, that allow students to understand why these are problematic issues. And so, and the parents, what were some of the things that the parents would um, give them a backlash about? I mean, were they kind of saying, if you talk about um, LGBT issues, that that's going to make my son or daughter feel that it's okay to be gay or lesbian or transgender or, you know, this is going to encourage sexual behaviors that I'm not going to approve of? Well, in one case, there was a teacher who had been outed at his school community and was being harassed by the parents. Hmm. So not only were the parents questioning talking about LGBT issues in a kind of a human rights kind of way, they were the ones actually um, leaving, you know, negative notes on his windshield, <laughs> actually saying horrible, horrible things to him uh-huh. in the schoolyard at drop-off. Um, so the parents were actually modeling many of these behaviors in, in one incident. But the other thing about parental backlash is that it, it was often just a perceived possibility. 
And the research shows that the parent backlash is actually quite small, but the teachers tend to be conservative because they don't want to risk that parental backlash. They've heard of the herd of the case of the one teacher who might have had the negative phone call of the parent saying, why did you say the word gay in your class today mm-hmm. when you were te- talking about something unrelated uh, ostensibly to gay and lesbian issues. And so just hearing that one story of backlash can go through a whole district and have every teacher then afraid of one phone call from one family. And so it's a really effective way to silence teachers if the administration doesn't stand up and say, no, this is actually the mission of our school. This is actually state law. This is actually who we are and what we believe in. So, you know, you can have your concerns, but um, we're going to support our teachers to continue doing this work. So if you don't have the support of administration, that threat of the parental backlash is, is extra, um, extra scary. Yes, it's, it's as if um, the parents are thinking it's contagious. If you talk about it, it's contagious. Right, and oftentimes there's the religious arguments as well where families who come from deeply conservative religious backgrounds that follow traditions that say any kind of same-sex behavior is unnatural or sinful or what have you, then they feel that their children are getting messages at school that go deeply against their values and their religious systems. And, you know, and, and, and that's, that's complicated when parents have value systems at home that aren't reflected in the school environment, but at the same time, a school is a secular institution, and so schools must respect the fact that there's lots of different value systems, and one of them is keeping all of our students safe, and that one is the most important thing. Well, you know, but the, the whole thing, I mean, you know, just, just like uh, what I, the, the title of this show, Gender Controversies and Confusion, it is getting the whole thing. There are so many um, issues that are cropping up that are making it more controversial and confusing. One of them um, is, and I know we're going to have different opinions on this, um, is the transgender uh, kids and school bathrooms issue. Um, how California passed a law. I don't know how. <laughs> it, it seemed to have come out of nowhere. It was just like all of a sudden we heard this is the law, um, saying that transgender students can use the bathroom of their choice. And this is, let's see, is this in, um, is this in through elementary schools through high schools or... Well, let me clarify a few things. First of all, it did not come out of nowhere. We've actually, since the year 2000, have had protections from discrimination based on gender identity and expression in the California Ed Code. So so for 14 years, students have had the right to um, to access school and school opportunities, you know, based on whoever, regardless of their gender identity and expression. So this new law, AB 1266, the School Success and Opportunity Act, all it does is clarify what is expected by this non-discrimination. It makes it clear that schools, if you have a child who is transgender, and so this does not mean that they choose to be a one gender one day and they choose to be another gender another day. We're talking about children who have a strong, persistent, early identified sense of themselves. So we all have our gender identity clearly established between the ages of two and five. Mm-hmm. And so children who are transgender have a clear sense of their gender identity. Unfortunately, it is not what is on their birth certificate. And it is not what the medical doctors identified when they were born. So their gender of their brain does not align with the medical legal category assigned to them at birth. So we're not talking about kids who are going to change bathrooms from day to day. 
And so here's the other thing that frustrates me about this. People are like, oh, kids are going to cross-dress and sneak into the bathroom and pretend to be transgender so they can peep on people or sexually assault people. And again, this does not make anything like that legal. You, it is still illegal to harass or, um, you know, peer on somebody in a private space. So what all it is doing is making sure that transgender students have full access to educational opportunities so they can play on the softball team if they want to, so they can access the bathroom if they need to, because that's a health issue. Okay. Many transgender students experience extreme health problems because of the, the either the distance they're required to travel to go to a safe bathroom or because of the dangers posed to them if they're going into what people perceive as the wrong bathroom for them. Okay, but... <laughs> Here's my problem with this. There are, let's see, according to uh, one article, there are 0.5%, um, there is 0.5% of the adult population um, that is transgender. So uh, now that's adult population, and, and apparently it is growing. Um, in one instance, it grew, grew like 330% over the year before, but... But the point is, it is still a very, very, very small percentage of the kids in a particular school. And my concern is, what about those kids? It seems that it's giving the transgender kids more rights than the kids who have to go to that same bathroom, if, you know, if they're going to be sharing a bathroom, there are going to be kids of, um, of the gender... You know, it's a, let's say it's a boys' bathroom. Okay, so uh, that boys will go in that bathroom, and girls who identify as boys um, will go to that bathroom. Now, that's not, you know, I don't think that's quite, well, it'll make the boys going to that bathroom uncomfortable, but I don't think that that's qu- going to be quite as bad or is quite as bad as when it's a girls' bathroom and a girl who identifies a transgender girl who identifies as a boy comes walking into that bathroom. I mean, what about the kids who aren't transgender who now have to feel comfortable? Uh, well, I mean, they're not comfortable. Who now have to put up with um, someone, a transgendered child, coming into their bathroom? It's okay, just, there's a, a couple majority. different things that you bring up. Be... First of all. Go ahead, go ahead. I think public restrooms in general can be very uncomfortable places for a lot of different reasons for a lot of different people, right? People want a certain degree of privacy for whatever reason. But you go into a public bathroom and you have a stall with a door that is locked. And if your fear is about transgender girls, I got to tell you, those transgender girls are the most vulnerable to violence and victimization. They are not going to want anyone anywhere near seeing what their body looks like under their clothes because of the unfortunate shame and embarrassment they often feel that their body does not match their gender identity. So they are going to be the ones who want to be often invisible in those spaces because they just want to be safe. They just want to get their business done and get out. Now, for the other children whose parents or whatever might feel like this is going to make me uncomfortable to pee next to somebody whose anatomy might be different than mine, like, I don't know how often you've actually sat and thought about the anatomy of the person in the stall next to yours, but that's just not crossing my mind when I'm going to the bathroom, okay? Yes. So we need to think a little bit more broadly about what is actually happening in bathrooms. If they're, uh, they're, if they're dangerous places, then yes, we need to make sure they're safe, safe for everybody. And if there are children who do not feel ready or comfortable or they, they want to share a washroom with somebody who may or may not be transgender, the best rule of thumb I've learned, and there's a wonderful advocacy organization in San Francisco called Gender Spectrum. 
And they basically say options for everybody, restrictions for none. So they say everybody can use the washroom of your gender identity, and most schools have a single-user washroom, whether it be in the nurse's office or the counseling office or a staff washroom. But they say any student, for whatever reason, if you want more privacy, whether because you have a medical condition or you're transgender or you don't want to be in the bathroom with a transgender person, any student can then go and use that more private facility if you feel you want more privacy. Privacy. But by putting restrictions only on transgender students, you're further marginalizing them, and that's exactly what this law is trying to do, make sure all youth can feel fully a part of every school community. Well, I guess we're going to have to uh, continue this into the next segment because um, we need to take another break. This is going by so quickly. Um, my guest is Dr. Elizabeth Meyer. I should have been saying that from the beginning. Um, and we're talking about gender controversies and confusion. She is the author of the latest book called Supporting Transgender and Gender Creative Youth, Schools, Families, and Communities in Action. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, where Dr. Liz Meyer and I are <laughs> debating, kind of having a controversy over, over gender controversies and confusion. Um, we were talking about the law uh, regarding transgender bathrooms, and I was asking during the break, and it is, um, Dr. Meyer was telling me, it is uh, K through 12, which is kind of what I had thought they had said. And the law has been in, 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 um, in, has been in passed since uh, about a year ago. And so what is, um, what has been happening during that year? What are the real life experiences that you have heard about, you know, after this has passed? I mean, first of all, our school, is it happening? Are, are kids, um, taking advantage of this and mainly in, you know, elementary school? I doubt, I would think it would be more in high schools, but what is actually happening? 
Well, it's interesting because, as I said, you know, we, these non-discrimination protections have been available since the year 2000. So school districts, especially like L.A. Unified, San Francisco Unified, other districts, have already had these inclusive policies on the books. So it actually isn't earth-shattering or groundbreaking, and many school districts have already been accommodating many of these students um, very quietly and very appropriately um, because a lot of these students, especially the ones who are in elementary school, pre-puberty, um, are, are living in the school often un- invisible as a transgender child because they've enrolled in the school as the gender that they identify with. Maybe only one or two people in that school know their legal sex on their birth certificate, but the rest of the school community, teachers and students included, only know that child as a gender that they've presented themselves as. And then what this law does is then make sure that the school is protected in case that child is ever outed and the school then has done the right thing to protect them and make sure the child, because if this child, for some reason, all of a sudden people identify them as transgender and now, oh, no, you have to go use this different washroom or, no, you're not allowed to play on this soccer team anymore, that's going to be a very traumatic experience for a 7-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old who's been embraced and accepted and part of the normal everyday life of school and then all of a sudden, no, you can't. One of the bigger cases that arose was when a high school student who um, had transitioned to a female identity in school was then was able to, she felt empowered to go out for the softball team. And prior to the law passing, she didn't feel like she had the protections or the ability or the school would recognize her right to play. And because now we do have that explicit protection, that was one good story that came out of it that, okay, yeah, she is transgender. She identifies as female. Therefore, she has the right to try out for and, and play on our softball team. And so there's been more and more cases of that where families who are affirming their children children are, are ready to request the kinds of things that they have the legal right to. So it's been a really good um, education and awareness opportunity. Now, I'm not saying there hasn't been backlash and resistance because there are. I mean, I remember going to the store a couple months ago and seeing petitioners out there because there was a whole organized movement trying to have this law repealed. And they were giving this misinformation that they were going to require co-ed bathrooms. That's not what the law requires. It's not a co-ed bathroom. They are still having single-sex washrooms. They're just allowing everybody to use the washroom based on their gender identity, irrespective of the sex um, on their birth certificate. So it's actually, there's been a lot of great stories of schools um, working hard. It's not easy for a school community when they're learning these things and, and having to do the best they can, but most educators just, they want children to feel safe and included and healthy and part of the school community. So most school districts are working hard with consultants and lawyers and counselors to say, what does this child need? What do we need to do to meet that? Just like any child who has a special need or needs an accommodation, regardless of if it's 0.5% of the population or 5% of the population, every child, regardless of their needs, has a right to access an education, and it's our job as educators to provide that access. And what do you think is the reason why um, there seems to be this increase in transgender children? Well, I think a lot of it has to do with the the huge change just in the past decade over um, rights and recognitions for LGBT people in general. So with this expansion of same-sex marriage and this increased visibility of transgender icons and role models, and then there has been a shift in counseling and um, child development where they've recognized that 
you need to affirm the child's gender identity as early as possible for the healthiest outcomes. And so more and more counseling psychologists and therapists are being trained to let parents know that we shouldn't try to correct gender identity and gender expression behavior. We just need to listen and affirm. And so children are being supported by their family members and then getting that um, advocacy and access to resources they need to be able to fully develop in their gender identity as opposed to what had happened. They'd wait till they're 18 or 20 years old and finally out of the house and then they would start living in their um, gender identity because they weren't getting the support and affirmation from their home, which is why you ended up with a lot of street-involved transgender youth, a lot of transgender youth involved in the sex trade and the drugs and alcohol, because when you're that young and you don't have the support of your family, there aren't a lot of options available to you. So what, um, I know we're, we're kind of running out of time here, but what... Um, what would you, when, when you go to schools, what do you try to, what are some of the, the um, techniques or uh, strategies that you, that you teach at schools for how they can, you know, put some of these, um, oh, very, um, you know, nice ideas or, or uh, into practice? I mean, with all, of the, with all of these different strong feelings about this issue. Well, one of the things that I really do talk about is um, religious pluralism and understanding the difference between behaviors and beliefs and letting teachers know that even if you have religious values or you think there's religious values that might go against supporting a GLBT child, um, that you, you still can't allow negative or discriminatory behaviors to persist. And so giving them the language to be able to respect religious pluralism, but to still support and ensure safety and respect for students is one thing. We also do a lot of scenarios and role-playing, because like I said, teachers often don't have the language and haven't had practice talking about um, age-appropriate ways to talk about um, gender diversity and sexual diversity and LGBT families and other things like that. So I give them a lot of language. And we also just talk about stereotypes and stigma and how lots of different groups have negative stereotypes and, and how damaging that can be to students' performance and engagement in school. And that if we can't teach about the, the truth of the variety of everybody's experiences, that these stereotypes can really magnify and grab hold and become really deeply embedded biases that then, you know, shape behaviors in a long-term way. So we talk about kind of novels that teachers can teach or even children's books, um, elements of the civil rights movement, post-World War II, and, or even World War II history, and talking about Holocaust survivors and concentration camps. LGBT people were very much part of the targeted groups in that. So really including, and then talking about Harvey Milk and other kinds of contributions, Bayard Rustin, who was an integral part of the Martin Luther King um, Group. I mean, he was a gay man, and, and, and so giving opportunities to talk about the contributions and the diversity to reduce stigma, to counteract stereotypes, and give our youth um, more role models and opportunities to really think more broadly about the diversity that really exists in our society. I mean, in an ideal world, all of that tolerance and acceptance is a wonderful thing. It's just that kids are having these days, even without... Um, uh, gender confusion or all of these different permutations. I mean, just kids growing up um, have enough problems in our, in our world, uh, developing their sexuality, their their you know the th- some of the things we've been talking about. The women, little girls, even who have to worry about being assaulted by men. Just just all of these um, 
I mean, it, what's, what's kind of, a, what, what I worry about as a psychiatrist is that's like taking it into uh, elementary school, for example, these kids aren't really ready, a lot of kids aren't really ready to handle so much of this confusion. I do want to make sure that we give out, where should people go to get your books? Well, they can go to my website, elizabethjmeyer.com. Um, both books are also available on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. You can just Google Elizabeth J. Meyer, and, and all of my titles will come up because I have several other books as well, but those are the two most um, related to what we've been talking about today. Okay, and that's E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H, Elizabeth J. Meyer, M-E-Y-E-R. Well, Dr. Elizabeth Meyer, thank you very much. This has been a very... Uh, Fascinating and, and uh, discussion with you. I, you know, we we come from from different different perspectives, but I certainly um, understand what you're saying. And yes, in an ideal world, I think that's great. It's just that you know, I I have I have had to handle so many kids, patients who, um, you know, are, are having trouble with all of these things. Um, but yes, well, I feel like we have to teach for the kind of world we want to live in, not the, the one that we do live in. We teach for the future, and so that's why I feel like we, as teachers we need to be idealists, and I uh-huh. think kids at any age are ready for lessons about diversity and acceptance. Okay. All right, well, thank you very much, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 